Well, good morning. Howdy. That's right. Beautiful day to be here. That's right. Beautiful day to worship the Lord. <clears throat> Beautiful day to learn more about him. Well, this morning, I want to start off by telling you the story of uh, a short story, short summary story of four different ladies. Uh, the first lady was a young woman who married into a large, influential, wealthy family. Uh, but not too long after she was married, her husband passed away. And so she did what any uh, widow her age would do, I'm sure. Uh, she tricked her father-in-law by posing as a prostitute to get him to sleep with her so she would become pregnant. That's common, right? Here's a second lady. Uh, on this theme of prostitutes, I'm sorry. But she was a prostitute who threw her lot in with a group of foreigners, which ultimately led to the overthrow of her own people by an invading army. Third lady. She wasn't a prostitute, so that my story ends there with that theme, thank goodness. But she was a foreigner herself, and she married into a person, a man of a different nation, who then shortly after their marriage died. And so she moved back to uh, her husband's homeland with her mother-in-law. And through careful work and maybe a little manipulation, caught the eye of a wealthy man who ended up taking her as his wife. Fourth story. This lady had an affair. And she became pregnant uh, with another man's child, not her husband's. And she ultimately married this man after he uh, had her husband killed so the two of them could be together. Now, who do you think these ladies are? What, what, what do they have in common? Do you know? What's that? They're women in the Bible. That's, that's true. These are stories from the Bible of actually women in history who some of them had pretty poor reputations for the things that they did, Right? But more than just being in the Bible, what else do they have in common? What's that? That's right. These ladies come directly from the genealogy of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1. The only four ladies found in the genealogy. And in Jewish genealogy, that's kind of odd that these ladies would be included because it usually only included the men. Uh, these ladies, let's look at their names, actually. Maybe they'll, they'll, you'll remember their stories here as we look at them. The first one is Tamar. Tamar. She was a uh, deceiver, in a sense. Uh, and she comes, her story is found in Genesis chapter 38. And you might remember Judah was her father-in-law who she, uh, you know, in her culture, she needed to have uh, a child so that she could be provided for when she got older. And so it wasn't all wickedness that led her to make her decision. Uh, but she was, she deceived her, her father-in-law. Um, Rahab comes from Joshua chapter 2. And, and she was the prostitute who uh, hid the spies of Israel as the Israelites were looking into the promised land. Uh, Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth, is her story. And while, again, she doesn't have maybe the, the uh, stigma of that, that the other two ladies had, she still was a foreigner. And in the Jewish culture, a foreigner was looked down upon. And yet, through her, through her actions and, and her connection, she married uh, Boaz, uh, a good Jewish man, a wealthy Jewish man. 
And the last one is Bathsheba. And she's found in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11, the story of David and Bathsheba and, and, and their affair as David looked on her and, and took her as his own and ultimately paid a steep price uh, for that. But what do all these ladies have in common? The, the lineage of Jesus. They all are stories that show God's redemptive nature and are included in Matthew chapter 1 when it lists the, the, the important people of Jesus' past. So why do, I, why do I bring that up this morning? That seems like an odd uh, grouping of, of people to highlight in light of our Be the Church, of, of, our, of our reading of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Well, let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. Maybe we can start to piece this puzzle together. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In the book of Acts, there are several different, six or seven different uh, summary statements that take place at the kind of the conclusion of a, a grouping of stories of the, of the history of the church. Acts chapter 2 is the first kind of summary statement of what happened after Pentecost and, and Peter's sermon where the people responded and the church began. And, and so it lists those things that were important uh, to the church that were being practiced in that section of Acts. Well, in Acts chapter 4, there's another kind of summary of what had taken place in those uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Acts. And this is what it says in verse 40, I'm sorry, 32 of Acts chapter 4. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So this morning what we're looking at is, is this idea that's found in verse 44 And verse 32 of chapter 4, where it says, All believers were together and had everything in common. Our theme this morning is that the early church was devoted to unity. Okay, This idea of unity. But I want to look at it from a little different perspective this morning. I want to look at it from the idea that unity is what we have in common. And focusing in on that idea. You know, the book of Acts records the history of a special time in the church. It, it's not that the early church was perfect. We can't take that and just say that, oh, this, this was the ideal, perfect situation, because the rest of the New Testament is kind of the apostles writing letters to the church to encourage and to correct them as they uh, tried things and maybe didn't get it right all the time. But one of the remarkable things that was practiced well, especially in this early, early part of the church, was their shared purpose, their unity, their common bond. And if you were here a few weeks ago, their, their koinonia, their fellowship together. They were like the women that I mentioned earlier. What did these women share? Well, they were all part of God's redemptive plan. They had the common bond of Jesus Christ. And if you look at their lives, they're used as examples of faith. Because they didn't let what their past was define their future. And through turning their lives to God, 
they achieve something pretty amazing in God's overarching plan for mankind. This morning, I'd like to explore the idea that one of the ways that the church today stumbles most often is by forgetting our common need for Jesus. I have a video for us to watch this morning, and, and this, it highlights this idea pretty well. Um, it's a bit forward, and it's a little bit convicting, at least it was for me. And so I'm just going to warn you that it can come across pretty, pretty harsh even, uh, but maybe sometimes we need to hear something that's harsh to wake us up. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this video on how the church has fallen from its original ideals of commonness and togetherness and unity, knowing that we all need Jesus. So let's go ahead and watch uh, this video. I was once told a story by a close friend of mine who said that after a long night of drinking on Saturday night, he woke up Sunday morning and decided for the first time in his life he wanted to go to church. He got in his car, he drove, found the closest church he could, and walked into the back door of the service and sat down in the church. He said he didn't know what to expect that day, but he felt like he would at least leave there feeling like a better person, feeling a little bit of joy, feeling a little bit of love. Instead, he left there downtrodden. Instead, he left there crushed because of the judgmental looks and attitudes that came his way that day. He said, you know what, man, I think they smelled the alcohol on me. I don't think they like that. He told me that no matter what happens to him in this life, no matter where he goes or what he does, he will never go and sit on a church pew again. Because you know what? He felt more love, he felt more accepted, and he felt more joy on a bar stool than he did in a church pew. You see, a lot of people who sit in these church pews haven't taken the time to open up the Bible that they beat over top of other people's heads. Because if they did open up that Bible, they would see a Jesus Christ that lived completely different than they do now. They would see a Jesus Christ who came into this world and hung out with drunkards, who hung out with prostitutes, who hung out with tax collectors. They would see a Jesus Christ who said, I come not to save the self-righteous, those who think they haven't figured out, those religious people who sit on their high horse and act like they are better than everyone else. No, I came to save those who are in need of a physician. I came to save sinners because I love sinners. We are supposed to mirror Jesus Christ as followers of him. And in doing so, we are supposed to show love to the rest of the world. Jesus Christ said, they will know you by your love. He didn't say they'll know you by your judgmental looks, by your judgmental attitudes, by this thought process that you are enlightened and they aren't. They will not know you by your hatred. They will not know you by your condescending looks towards them or the Bible beating over their heads. He never said any of that stuff. He said they will know you by your love. Where's the love? You see, our generation can be different. Our generation can set a new standard. Our generation can say that whether we sit in a church pew or whether we sit on a bar stool, we're going to treat each other with love and respect. We don't have to make the same mistakes that those people who came before us made. No, we do not. We can show each other love. Because at the end of the day, we are all in need of love. We love that Jesus Christ came here and died for sinners. And you know where the sinners are at? The sinners are on the bar stool. The sinners 
are all the church people. We are all sinners. And we are all in need of the love of Jesus Christ. There has to come a time when we stop seeing each other by the places that we sit. When we start seeing each other as the people we are. Because after all, we're just people. People in need of love. I watched that video this week and it, it was convicting to me. It was convicting because I know how easy it is to look at someone in judgment. And, and when we do that, we remove the bond of unity that God calls us to. We remove all uh, fellowship when we cast judgment on someone who's sitting beside us. When we judge others, we show that we have forgotten our own need for Jesus. When we look down our noses at someone else because they don't act the way we act or they dress the way we dress or they smell the way that we like them to smell, we've forgotten our own sin-filled lives and how we are where we are today because we were rescued by Jesus ourselves and that we've been given a new life. You know, we are really good. Let's make this personal. I'm really good at judging those who sin differently than I do. And when we look at this Acts chapter 2 passage, I, I see a group of people who realize that they had different backgrounds, that they all had different sins in their life. And the thing that they had in common was the fact that they were sinners in need of Jesus himself. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. The early church had much more opportunity for division within it than we do here today. The Acts chapter 2 church had believers from, from all over the world. Um, you remember that this crowd that day in Acts chapter 2 was made up of so many different people that uh, people had come from all over the world for Pentecost, and they were there on the steps of the temple when Peter stood up and he shared about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And he pointed the fingers and he said, it's been because of you and your sin that Jesus had to die. And not only did he have to die, but you were the hands that led him to the cross. And the people said, we believe. What do we, what do, we do? They heard the apostles speak in, in tongues and they were amazed because there was people from all over the world there that day. And they heard in their own native language. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, it records that story. It says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, all over, both Jews and, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. There were different races there that day. There were different social status, people with different social status. There was people from different economic levels, different religious backgrounds, 
And yet it says over and over that this group of people who accepted Jesus that day and met together were committed to each other and devoted to each other. And they loved each other. They understood that they were united in one thing, Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink one Spirit. We all need that same Spirit. And I just want to highlight you know, this week this idea that sometimes unity comes down to one thing. And we focus on so many times on all the differences that we have and the preferences we have. And we, we segregate ourselves by, by preferences. But we have one thing in common that overrides all of those things. We're all sinners and we need a Savior. Why do we serve one another? Why do we encourage one another? Why do we bear one another's burdens? Because by doing so, we admit that we can't make it on our own. Uh, just like I have a need for a Savior, a need for Jesus, I also need support and encouragement from other people. And that's found only within the church. Not only do I need this, but I acknowledge that the other people around me need these things. And so I do these things. And why do we serve one another? Because we need served. And we know that the people around us need help. And so we help one another. Why do we bear each other's burdens? Because I have burdens of my own that I need help with. And I know that the people around me need help with theirs as well. One, I heard, read this quote this week. It says, one crucial aspect of submitting to Jesus is committing to the ministry of his church. We are no longer isolated individual, but members of Christ's body. When we accept Jesus, we're saying, I can't do it on my own. I need help. And Jesus has put in place a way for us to receive help. First and foremost, his death on the cross and his resurrection, his forgiveness of sins. But then he's created a support group for us called the church. In Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read quite a few verses here. I think we have time. I'm going to read quite a few verses. I'd encourage you to write this verse down. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. You could read just the whole chapter. There's only about four or five more verses in it. And I just wanted to read this, this one this morning because as I study and I prepare these messages, it's easy for me just to kind of come up with the things that I want to say, the ideas that I want to communicate. And, and what I wanted to do this morning really specifically is to read this passage because it speaks as clearly on unity and how we should treat each other than maybe any other passage in Scripture. And so I wanted it to speak kind of on its own this morning. Let's read Romans chapter 12. I'm, start, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just, just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. 
If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, there's a, there's a lot in this passage about living this life together, this life of being a Christ follower. And there's warning after warning and encouragement after encouragement to be at peace, to live in harmony, to serve each other, to live life together, to rejoice together, to mourn together, to bless each other. And the thing that we need to realize is that we can let our own desires get in the way, right? We can. We can. I've said it many, many times. We can let our own preferences get in the way of these things. But if we remember what we have in common, and it isn't just like one little thing that we have in common, right? It's not just one little thing. It, we have the one major thing in common, Jesus Christ. And we need to remember his purpose and why he came. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. That's why he came. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And it's easy for us to forget, especially those of us who have been Christians for year, year after year, or most of our lives, raised in a Christian home, that we're not sinners. But we are. And, and whether we, we uh, you know, whatever our background, just like those four ladies that we talked about at the beginning, they had such drastically different backgrounds. They, some of them were horrible their past was nothing to write home to mom about when you meet her, right? When, when I'm sure when, uh, uh, when their husbands met them, it wasn't, hey, guess what, mom? I met this prostitute, and now I'm going to take her as my wife, right? But God redeemed them, and God used them for his purpose. And all of us are in that same story. I find it sad, just terribly, horribly sad, that there are people throughout this nation throughout this town, that feel more welcome sitting on a bar stool on Saturday night than they do sitting on a church pew on Sunday morning. They feel more accepted. They feel less judged. And it's because we as a church have forgotten that we have a different sin than they, but we have an equal need for a Savior. I want to end with this. I'm going to quote you from, quote from that video. 
He says this. I, I love this. We all need the love of Jesus who came to seek and save the sinners. You know where the sinners are at? The sinners are on the bar stool. The sinners are in the church pew. We're all sinners. We all are in need of the love of Jesus Christ. And we need to stop seeing each other by the places that we sit and start seeing each other by the people that we are. After all, we're all just people, people in need of love. You know, a church that adopts that is the type of church that I want to be a part of. A church that says, we're going to welcome you in the name of Jesus, no matter what you did last night, because you need him. And once you've been introduced to him and you understand his love and his forgiveness, and then we can work on the other stuff after. But you don't have to conform your life before you walk through these doors to what we expect. You come and hear the love of Jesus. Because that's why we're here. And that's what we all, hopefully, in this room share as a common bond. We've all experienced that. And hopefully we've experienced it in such a way that says we want to share that with anybody who comes through our doors. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. And, and Father, we, we talk about it all the time, but sometimes it's, it's easy to forget that feeling that we had when we first experienced you, when we first felt the relief of the weight of sin upon our shoulders and, and we experienced that forgiveness of sin. And Father, as time goes by and, and that uh, time distances itself from us when, when we made that decision, it's easy to look at other people and, and judge them and, and, and critique them because they sin differently than us. And I just pray, Father, that, that you will remind us constantly of how much you love us and how much that you've forgiven us for and how many things that you've done in our lives. And as a result of that, we'll look at people with understanding and with grace and with mercy. And I just pray, Father, that this body will become a, a place where everyone feels welcome to come and to enter in and to worship you. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.